bags and sky cameras. Don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. Welcome to List Envy, where each week I work with a guest to build a top five list on a topic they choose. I'm Mark Stedman. This week's guest is Carl Hodge. This week's list is time travel romance films. And you've probably already guessed uh, what one of our picks is from the cold open. Uh, So Carl is a university course director up in Leeds. And uh, we'll get straight into this. I got uh, to know him a little bit more by asking him why he picked this list. Time travel movies appeal to me anyway, but what keeps us awake at night are all the things we said or didn't say, uh, the things we, we did or we didn't do, and the things that are in our lives or relationships that might have been better if only we'd made a different decision at a different point. And time travel movies are usually about fixing things, but they're often about fixing big things. Um, time travel romance films are about fixing those small things, the things that keep us awake. Um, and there's something a little bit more cosy about them. And I think during lockdown, um, my partner and I, we started, you know, we like watching time travel films and science fiction films in general anyway. But we start to go smaller, I think. And instead of, you know, watching something like um, Avengers Endgame, which is this absolute pretzel of time travel and concurrent timelines and explosions and things blowing up, we start going down to these these smaller time travel ideas, like uh, some of the ones that I might mention later on. Was looking at the list. I, I must confess, I've not I've not watched every film that I've put in my list, um, but I've got uh, certainly certainly one that I'm really keen. Uh, as soon as we've finished um, recording today, is I, I think I want to go off and, and watch it. Um, in my course of sort of thinking about these films, and I, I only didn't put it in because it's not really a ro- there is a sort of a romantic element, but it's not really a romance film. But I wanted to ask you, romance aside, is Memento a time travel film? That's interesting, isn't it? I think Christopher Nolan is really interested in the idea of time and space, anyway, um, and that's. Uh, that's clear from Inception. It's absolutely clear from Tenet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Because I'm partway uh, through it. I started yeah. it that night and I, was, I could feel my eyes going, not because I wasn't enjoying the film, but just because it's been a few days, you know? Um, and, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to, to carry on because I was enjoying it. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it too much for people that have, haven't seen it, but it's, it's, it, the entire thing is about, about time. And it, that isn't apparent at the beginning. No. At the beginning of the film, it feels more like uh, there's some kind of alien incursion going on. Um, but yeah, Christopher Nolan is absolutely uh, obsessed with the idea of time. And I think really it's a time travel movie in the sense that um, it rearranges the narrative for us. Um, and so we we become time travellers. That sounds so pretentious, doesn't it? But yeah, but when when you're watching anything, when you're watching any kind of text... Uh, what you engage in is a process of deconstruction, of finding meaning in what you're looking at. And um, that production of meaning is a partnership between the author or the filmmaker, the people that are involved in making that film, and you watching it and you interpreting it. So on that level, Memento is 
is definitely a time travel movie because uh, you unravel it in a in in reverse order in a different way. I always think it's really amusing that um, that Memento. If you get the DVD version of it, it comes with a version where the chronology is straightened out, <laughs> which yeah. you know just takes the mystery out of the story and turns it into a fairly straightforward drama, really, <laughs> because you, because you know everything that's happened beforehand and maybe that's the difference between uh drama and uh, a thriller or mystery is that um in a drama you get the inciting event right at the beginning and then you have to look at the characters dealing with it whereas in a thriller a lot of the time characters don't know what's happening to them and they're just just going through this trauma and then it's gradually revealed to them towards the end it's it's interesting uh, like the the whole rearrangement aspect because I would not call Pulp Fiction a time travel movie, but time and rearrangement of time is is a is a thing. Also, all of the clocks in all of the scenes point to the same time, which is just a, an odd, you know, a, a, an, an odd thing. Uh, and you can similarly, I think, rearrange, and I think people have done this. You can rearrange Pulp Fiction um, so that the chronology sort of um, feels like it flows more naturally. But yeah, I think time is almost in a time travel movie. It's almost a character. Um, in in a, in a way that when people talk about certain films, they say this, you know, the city is a character, and I think it it really becomes part of the not just the construction of the story, but a, a, a real player in it as well. And I think that's that probably what makes that's what makes it time travel. With that in mind, then, um, what is your number one pick? What absolutely has to make the list? Well, it's it. I think I've got some more interesting picks in my list, but the one that would have to make the list has to be Groundhog Day. <laughs> oh, lovely! It's my with, as well. Yeah, without without a doubt. Um, it's and it's interesting. It's Groundhog Day because I think it's one of those films that um, when it it came out, it did quite well, but it it has just gathered so much momentum on on and you know curiously through replay to the extent that there's now a whole genre, yes, of Groundhog Day movies of time loop movies. There was um. I, I I did I looked back to see if how many time loop movies there were before Groundhog Day, and there really are not many at all. In fact, there's one called Twelve O One PM, and there was some dispute after Groundhog Day came out as well about um, the originality of Groundhog Day as an idea, because Twelve O One PM was a short story written by a science fiction author whose name I can't remember. Um. And a film was made of it with Helen Slater, who is Supergirl as well in the original 1970s movies or 1980s movies. Um, and that did nothing. It was a very low budget um, kind of uh, rom-com um, done in a, in a very kind of low-key way. But Groundhog Day obviously takes things right up to another level. And now we've got Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's... Uh, a horror version of Groundhog Day. There's a Happy Death Day. There's a a bingeable mini series on Netflix, Russian Doll, Russian, you know, which is it is Groundhog Day taken to the nth degree. There was also I don't know if you ever if you ever saw it. Um, I don't think it necessarily did what they call you know huge numbers uh, in the UK. But around 2007, I remember watching this on uh, the sort of towards the back end of the EPG channel, uh, Bravo called day one and yeah i think it was it was a it was a copper uh 
in in the states um who would you know the, we know the premise he'd wake up and every day was the same and and he he remembered everything um from from the previous day and was able to improve and i can't remember what the um the sort of the outcome of it was but i found it quite an enjoyable thing and so yeah we we are at this point where groundhog day is essentially a genre absolutely i can't pretend to remember day one in any detail but i do remember it existing well it's good to know that someone else did yeah <laughs> Um, so that's my number one as well. So I'm going to go with, I mean, it's, it's back to the future. Oh, back to the future. Well, that's, that's yeah. interesting. Um, I think, I think there's an interesting, I picked this one just because I think it's a, not necessarily a better time travel or a better romance than two or three, which often crop up, uh, three, especially, uh, I think crop up in, uh, in time travel romance film lists, uh, of which there are quite a few, um, but I think because it's sort of it's it's the first and I think the best, and also I think it's such an interesting double romance stories in, in that you've got um, Marty almost trying to avoid a romance with his own mother, uh, whilst setting up another romance with you know his, what what's going to be his dad, um, and finding ways to make that romantic connection happen finding these little ways that he can boost it by you know um with, when, when the band's playing earth angel and him, him coming up on, on stage and, and um, playing music and stuff i think yeah it's 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 not necessarily a traditional choice but i think um i absolutely think it belongs somewhere um okay <laughs> it's i think back to the future is an interesting one and um it, absolutely it's it, the series the back to the future series of films are some of the best treatments of time travel in film. Um, and th- with consistent logic as well, that has to be... Because one of the things about time travel films is some of them just fall apart because they're not very consistent in terms of their application of logic. But Back to the Future makes a... The Back to the Future series makes a virtue of playing with the logic of time travel and um, setting up events and then changing events and... And all that is really marvellous. But what I would say is uh, I agree that through a certain lens it, it it's a rom-com mm-hmm. because it is about Marty trying to get his parents back together. But I don't think their relationship is the central relationship in the film. Mm. Um, and there's there's another romantic relationship in the film, in the films, and that's Marty's relationship with his own girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, Jennifer. And I think in the original, in the back, in Back to the Future, in the first Back to the Future, she has less than five minutes of screen time. Um, she is is there at the beginning, really, just to set up a little bit of um, conflict, and for Marty to have someone to come back to, um, and for the to be that moment when Marty wakes up back at the house at the end. Um, but the central relationship in Back to the Future is between Marty and Doc. Yeah. So I I would allow it on the basis that we accept that it's a tri- time travel bromance. Mm. Yeah. I I did think about that. I was thinking about that with um, Terminator 2 uh, with, <laughs> with that kind of bromance angle. Um, <laughs> <so> yeah. <laughs> um, but that will perhaps a follow-up episode that we can do, time travel bromance movies, because I think we'll find some. Um, yes. Yeah. All right. That, that's, I think, I think you, I, I'm, I'm happy with your, with your, with your reasoning there. Um, what is number two? 
Um, number two, again, I'm going with those that are clearly um, time travel romances and ones that people will probably know. Um, so I've got to select the time traveler's wife. Aha. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the film, but um, everyone knew the book at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I commute to work and I commute quite away. And for a time, like there was a period of time when um, everyone was reading Fifty Shades of Grey, for example. Mm-hmm. It was briefly that increasingly rare thing. It was this book that you used to see people reading on the train. Yes. And when you, when you think about Fifty Shades of Grey, that's quite odd <laughs> to think about. People openly flicking their way through it, that, which could be an unfortunate choice of words. <laughs> but they were doing the same thing with The Time Traveler's Wife mm-hmm. as well. I used, to see, I used to see people reading The Time Traveler's Wife on, on trains quite a lot for a while. So when the film came out, and I read the, I read the book around, around that time as well, when the film came out, I was a little worried that it was not going to do justice to uh, the novel because the novel's this big, fat thing. And it is less sophisticated than mm-hmm. the book, but somehow it still manages to explore some of the really big themes that are that are in there. One of which is that um, romantic relationships uh, evolve dynamically and they are built around these shared histories of the people that are involved in them and that they are petty sometimes Mm. as well there are disagreements that you have with uh, your partner there's a really i think there's a there's there's a scene in time traveler's wife which sums up um what it's about really and uh the two main characters one's called henry and he's the time traveler he's unstuck in time and so he just he time travels throughout his entire lifespan and he meets his wife, Claire, firstly as a child and appears back in her life throughout, throughout the, the course of the narrative. Um, and there's one scene where they've fallen out in a pretty big way. They've fallen out over the idea of um, having kids. And... Um, Claire gets a, a, a call, a phone call from a younger version of Henry, of her husband, and they go and meet up. And he's this less cynical and more laid back version of himself. Mm. And she finds that she can't stay angry at him anymore. And she has this realization that this is the same person that I'm angry with in the future. But, you know, divorced of that pettiness and that disagreement that we had and it doesn't matter because what fundamentally matters is this relationship that we have with each other so of all the films in 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 this list it's the most truly and crucially romantic because it's about the way that people respond to each other uh that's a that's a, a lovely pick Okay, um, I, I'm I'm possibly going a bit route one here because I think this was the, well, this was the first one that came to mind. Um, but it's about time. Oh yeah, right. Okay, I watched this uh, in 2015 on New Year's Eve, and I'd been not avoiding it, but I'd not. I mean, you know, Richard Curtis. It's middle class people having middle class relationships and middle class screw ups and foibles and all that kind of stuff. And as much of it as much of um that it is that uh, it's also sweet and 
funny and I loved the relationship between the son and Bill Nye. Um I I, I thought it was it, it took me a little bit by surprise um at how much I, I did enjoy it. The the sort of dating in the dark scene was was very sweet. Um and I think I sort of I, I kinda of lost track a little bit at the at the ending. I think there was something I can't remember now. It's been five years since I've seen it. But there was something towards the end where I sort of I lost track of, of how the mechanics worked. Um but I do remember just having a having a nice cozy time which is when Richard Curtis is at his best, is when he's just giving you a nice, just a nice, warm, cozy time. <laughs> That's what it was. I agree, I agree with you on that. It's a, it's a, it's a nice watch. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you get that coziness that you get from a lot of Richard, Richard Curtis films. And he's gone very high concept, hasn't he, towards, really towards the last few years of his career. Increasingly, it's moved away from those... Um, family uh, comedies or vignette comedies where he's uh, now he's kind of basing things around these higher concepts like time travel. Um, I think that the, the reason that you lose some of the sense of the time mechanics at the end is because they break down (laughs) (laughs) at the end. It's just, there's a lot of the, the central, one of the central issues in the plot is that, I think it's the, the main character is called Tim and he can't, he realizes he can't travel past the birth of his children at one point because he travels past the birth of his first child to help his sister out. And when he comes back to the future, um, his child is no longer the child that he left behind. Um, and he speaks to his dad about it because uh, in the in the narrative, it's all the males in the family can time travel. It's very like the time traveler's wife mm, yeah. in, in that sense. Yeah. It's got some different rules in place. Uh, and one of the interesting things about it actually is that um, Mary, who is the love interest in About Time, is also Claire, the love interest in The Time Traveler's Wife, played by Rachel McAdams. Ah, I had played by the same actress. Oh wow. Which is really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um yeah, but so they set this up and, and from that point on Tim is not allowed to travel past the birth of his child. And that becomes a sticking point towards the end because he realizes and I'm sorry to people that have not seen it, but something comes up essentially where um uh, he realizes that um, he's not going to be able to see somebody again um, because he's, he's about to have his his wife's about to have another child, and that's the entire the, the entire mechanics of the plot rest on that. Yes, and then <laughs> right at the end, they forget about all that. <laughs> and he travels back so that he can be with his dad and walk along the beach with him and, mm-hmm. as a child. <laughs> Um, and the uh, and we just we just uh, I remember watching that and thinking, hang on. You just said, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't absolutely agree with you. I really enjoy all the sort of shenanigans in it. I love I love the way that Richard Curtis kind of tries to explore all these little tropes and and what he jams in are all the things that people would want to do if they had the ability to time travel at will. Absolutely. Um, 
and also all the other problems that you would encounter with it. So yeah, uh, it's a it is a sweet and lovely film, but absolutely agree with you that at the end of it, it just kind of oh dear. Yeah. What is number three for you? This might this might be a bit more left field. Um, it's a film called Kate and Leopold. Ah, right. Yes, this has cropped up a lot, and I yeah, I've heard of it, but yeah, right. It's odd because. Um, when you watch it, you realise it's actually a fairly, a, a fairly substantial budget for a film, mm-hmm. and some star power in there as well. So you've got um, primary cast that's got Hugh Jackman and Meg Ryan. And Meg Ryan, right at the end, really of her monumental run of of uh, rom coms at that point, I think it was actually probably one of the last rom coms that she did. Uh, before in the cut, which is about two years later, and that's when she decided she was going to be a serious dramatic actress. And it's directed by um, James Mangold, who directed Copland, right, and Three Tenter Humor, mm-hmm. and these are, you know, critically acclaimed, gritty dramas. But it kind of felt like it fell off the radar, and I. I I didn't see it in the cinema. I think it's one of those. It was one of those um, films that I I may have seen in the last days of DVD rental. Um, it's uh, released around uh, the beginning of the two thousands. It might be two thousand one that it was released. But it's it's interesting because it's really just a fish out of water uh, rom com where uh, a man from the past, um, an aristocrat scholar from the Victorian era in New York um, follows a time traveller through a portal and ends up in 21st century New York and then meets Meg Ryan and because, you know, because she's Meg Ryan, Mm -hmm. uh, falls in love with her and and then, you know, he, she falls back in love with him because he's, she's, that classical career woman of of, um, of rom coms, who has everything but um, doesn't have um, a successful love life. In fact, at the beginning of the narrative, at the beginning of the story, she's just finished a relationship with someone you could only describe as a total loser. And you you think, why is a is a woman like that even entertaining men like that? Um, and she falls for. Hugh Jackman's character because he's educated and he's ethical and he has values that are a bit old-fashioned but uh, are lawful Um, and it's just a a really interesting and fun film and uh, well-made great effects and the fact that it kind of fell off the radar for me is I have I have no idea why that happened. I looked into the box office of it, and it cost about um, fifty million to make, and worldwide it only grossed seventy. So, oh wow, yeah, not well. It didn't do well at all, and that's mm-hmm. over, over the entire life of the film. So now it's been out for um, nearly twenty years, and it still hasn't, you know, made any more than that. But it's a terrific movie, and. Um, if you've not seen it, it's worth tracking down on the streaming services. Um, I think the 
my my next one is so because I've got one that, that I think fits fits a similar bill, which we may talk about. But uh, the one that I'm going to go for next is uh, one that uh, I, I confess I have not seen, but very much intend to because it's right up my alley. Um, this is safety not guaranteed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, three magazine employees um, head out on an assignment to interview a guy who placed uh, who places a classified ad uh, seeking uh, a companion for time travel. And uh, it's 2012, Mark Duplass, who I've enjoyed in a, uh, a few films. I think I uh, when I when I had my little movie marathon on New Year's Eve, watching uh, About Time. I think I also watched uh, Mark Duplass's second. Um, I think it might have been Creep Two. Mm. Uh, at that point i can't remember maybe maybe it was just the first one but i think i might have watched the second one at that point um i, I like him uh, and I, I, I like um he's, he's yeah he's made some interesting films um and it's aubrey plaza who uh, i will always quite happily watch because you know i mean she she's kind of playing the same character that aubrey plaza plays she plays it very well um but yeah uh having having uh watched uh reviews and and um trying not to watch spoiler-based reviews and so obviously trying not to watch two far in because i i really want to watch this myself um i i yeah i i think it, it really merits uh a look because um it, it from from all from for all intents and purposes it doesn't seem like um it, it feels like it allows you to make your own decisions about the characters and and um about how much uh of this world you want to buy into which which i, I quite enjoy yeah, I'm going to admit that I've not seen Safety Not Guaranteed for a while, but I have watched it. No, I agree with you as well that Aubrey Park Plaza's really good value in just about anything that she appears in. Um, she's made a really good streak of indie movies that are worth sort of tracking down. And um, those, the, the, the movie you mentioned there as well, Creep mm. and Creep 2, those are just two of the best thrillers. They're not really horror two of the best thrillers of the of the of this decade really um definitely worth tracking down yeah high, high value <laughs> really yeah uh great stuff okay so what is number four for you i think the lake house mm. um which is a a really odd one because um it's actually a remake um of a korean film and in a lot of cases you know, it, the the pretentious choice would have been to to cite the Korean film, which is um, <laughs> I think it's Il Mari, or yes, it's, it translates as the, as the sea. Um, but the the Lake House is a is a really good remake of that anyway, and it's made by a director Alejandro Agresta, um, who's an Argentinian director. I think it's his only um, American commercial film the lake house and he does a fantastic job on it um the reason i like it so much is i spent lots of my youth obsessed with science fiction short stories by writers like um ray bradbury and richard matheson and these would be fairly simple but have some kind of high concept in the middle of them that makes them seem complex and then they would work towards um, a resolution that ties everything up into a really neat little bow at the end. Kind of the opposite, I guess, of um, About Time, <laughs> which is which is lots of ideas shoved into a box and played with. But um, The Lake House... Slowly unravels. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Lake House is, is something... It's, the time travel doesn't even feel like 
we, we talked about time travel being a character in a film. It doesn't even feel that in, uh, obtrusive. It's due, really the time travel in this case is just the conflict that keeps the lovers apart mm-hmm. throughout the film. And for those people that haven't seen it, um, it's about a couple who move into this, no, who have a relationship with the same house, but two years apart from each other. Um, and there's a, a mailbox, and for want of a better word, let's call it a magic mailbox, that allows them to send messages to each other across the, that two-year gap. And once they both realise what's going on, much of the film is then about how they can resolve to meet and when they can meet and how they can meet at a time that is mutually convenient for them in their lives because um, Kate, who's the who's the woman in, in the story, played by Sandra Bullock, another rom-com kind of stalwart, um, is in a relationship in the past. So Alex, who is the, uh, the other half of the couple, can't just turn up, rock up and kind of break that relationship up, even though he knows... You could just go and find it. And like the best Twilight Zone episodes, there's a there's a twist ending, um, and I don't want to spoil it for <laughs> those people that haven't seen it, um, that really works with the mechanics of, of time really well. And I think, to just digress, there's, there, are, there are kind of three different ways that um, time mechanics are dealt with in these, in these films. Um, they're not dealt with on a, in a scientific way at all, really. They're dealt with in an artistic way. Um, and you get films where there's a single timeline, but events are fixed. So, um, for example, in The Time Traveller's Wife, the time traveller in that film can go anywhere in his timeline, but he can't affect anything because everything's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, in a film like that, you could... You could go back and try to kill Hitler, for example, but you wouldn't be able to because those events have only already happened and there's only one version of events. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, And then there are films where there's a a single timeline, but events can be changed and then those events ripple throughout the timeline. Mm -hmm. And that's the lake house. And that's about time as well. So there there are not multiple timelines happening there isn't as uh, events are not fixed things can be changed but there is only one timeline and once that timeline has been changed it's changed for it's changed immutably for everyone and then the final version is a, a multiverse timeline where every time every choice that you make creates an alternate timeline and you branch off and you can jump between these timelines and they're carrying on in their own way um but the lake house is the is the middle well, it's a there's a single timeline, and any any time either of the characters makes a change, um, then it ripples throughout. So there's there's a scene in it where Alex plants a tree for Kate, and it as she's going into her apartment apartment block, it suddenly appears in the future because it, he planted it, and so that explains how the mechanics work, and the twist ending is based around those mechanics as well because. Things happen earlier in the film that could only happen if things had been changed in the past, which is one of the things about time travel films. When you when you're explaining them on a podcast, <laughs> it's really confusing for everybody that's listening. Yes. But watching it, it 
all falls into place and makes perfect sense. Yeah, there's there's so much that can be that can be explained with a little, um, just a little, a short image or a, or a flashback or something that just helps you connect two ideas. That yeah, it takes a lot longer to explain. Be like um, trying to explain the the last scene of uh, uh, the Usual Suspects. Yes, where you're trying to explain how uh, your man is is looking at all these different things and making all these mental connections, and then suddenly there's a man who's not limping anymore, and it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so my my final one because I also had the time traveler's wife uh, listed is uh, also from 2000, um, and it is Happy Accidents. All right, uh, which appeared to be um, it, it looks a sort of fairly. I don't know. It looked kind of TV movie-ish from the trailer, but it's cropped up in in quite a few lists, and I was really intrigued by it. Um, So you've got uh, Marissa Tomei and um, Vincent D'Onofrio, and it's it's, uh, Marissa Tomei's character Ruby uh, meets uh, Vincent's character Sam, who is a man from 470 years in the future. Um, And it has, (laughs) just in the trailer, a marvellous line, I'm not from Dubuque, I'm from the future. Right. And uh, yeah, there's there's there was another one that I saw listed a few times called um, something like eleven eleven minutes ago, or eleven something like that, and it, it cropped up a lot. And and I started watching. It, I thought, oh no, like this, this, <laughs> this, this looks low budget and bad. Whereas you know you take something like Primer, uh, which is which is you know low budget, no special effects, and fantastic. And I need to watch it again so that I can actually yeah. confidently understand it. Um, but I don't know. I I um I think Happy Accidents is another one that I uh, I would I would quite like to give a go. Well, I'm going to confess that Happy Accidents is one that has absolutely passed me by, and I'm just looking at it on IMDb, and it looks right on my street. So yeah. that's what I'm watching tonight. <laughs> Excellent. We've both got uh, homework. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, so let's round out then. What is your number five? Right. Okay. Um, so again, this is this might. Be a lesser well, a lesser known movie. And it's odd that it's lesser known um, when you think about some of the people that are in it. It stars Sophie Turner, who's from Game of Thrones, mm. and Asa Butterfield, who uh, recently was the protagonist in Sex Education, which is big on Netflix, mm-hmm. which had Gillian Anderson in it as his mum as well. Really good series. And it's called, it's got two names. Um, and that's never a good thing for a film, is it, really? But uh, the I, when I saw it, it was called Time Freak. Right. Um, but it's also known as Time After Time. Okay. And that's oh, the name. Those that, crop up, so that might be the same film then. Well, it's interesting because there are, there are two there are two films called Time After Time. Right. Um, and the there's a, a 1970s film called Time After Time and a series called Time After Time which are both about the same thing. And they are about H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the 70s film, he's played, played by Malcolm McDowell. So that's great already. Yep. Um, and David Warner, who is also great, plays Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And Jack the Ripper steals H.G. Wells' time machine <laughs> and goes into the future. Right. And H.G. Wells chases him. And that's every bit as balmy as it sounds, yes. but it's also brilliant. And it's not it's not in my list because it's not a romance, really. There are romantic elements. Um, that, that film's also called Time After Time. And there's a Canadian TV series that um, I've also watched, which is about the same story. Yeah. 
Interesting. Worth worth tracking down all of those. Any any film, in short, any film called Time After Time <laughs> is worth tracking down. Um, but this Time After Time or Time Freak um, is dead interesting because uh, one of the things about time travel movies, is that, as I said, is they're about things going wrong a lot of the time and then fixing them. And they often tend to centre whoever is the time traveller and the needs of that person. Mm -hmm. So when things go wrong, the main character sets out to make them right, but from their perspective. So things are going wrong for them. And we don't really think about the alterations to the lives of the people around them that are made. That's really a consideration. But Time Freak starts off in as a knockabout comedy or you think that at the beginning you think this is a another teen Mm. zany kind of comedy and it feels like that for a first reel but when you get about a third of the way into it it starts to get uncomfortable because you realize that the protagonist the main character is making these changes to everybody else's lives around him um it's it's difficult to discuss too much without getting too spoilery about it but the kind of central premise is that um, Asa Butterfield's character builds a time machine to win his girlfriend back. Um, and he does, he manages to do that, and their relationship carries on for a little bit longer. And then something, another inciting incident happens, and they break up again. So he jumps in his time machine and, and fixes that. Mm-hmm. And then the next time they break up, he jumps in a time machine and fixes that. Right, okay. So that's how it starts to unravel. And then further on in the narrative, that's when it starts to get uncomfortable and you start to think about all these people that are caught up in these yeah. in these incidents and events and Come without their damage. Yeah, exactly. Without their consent. That's and it's really interesting to think about. It's the only one of these films that actually addresses that. Mm. If you start going back through some of these films and start thinking about some of the things, for example, that happened in Groundhog Day, um, without the consent of the characters taking part, they don't have the knowledge knowledge that um, Phil Connors' character does. Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, sorry. Um, Then it starts to get problematic and you have to start asking questions about it. And this does. And um, it's good for that reason. So this is Carl Hodge. Um, thank you to Carl, obviously, for uh, for being on the show, uh, and thank you to uh, Stuart uh, Parker for his uh, for his tireless help uh, with uh, with producing the show with me. Um, Links and show notes to said show can be found at listenvpod.com. Um, and uh, if you've got any thoughts, if you've got any questions, if, if you've got your own time travel romance picks, uh, if you think we missed anything, uh, or if you've got more homework for me, you can find listenvpod on Twitter. You'll find facebook.com slash listenvpod and also listenvy on Instagram. And uh, if, you feel, if you're feeling emaily, then listenvy at gmail.com is at your disposal. So we recorded this before Christmas, or in fact, I think it was just, might have been a couple of days just after Christmas, in fact. And um, I, since then, I think I've been snowed in twice. Um, Only a couple of days ago, uh, I was at a thing and I was at my parents after the thing. And (laughs) I was just sat there, you know, minding my own business. 
um, scrolling the, the, the phone there to avoid the TV. And what should pop up but uh, a message from uh, or a tweet from a friend saying, oh, it's snowing in my postcode. And uh, I say, I say, I says to my parents, I says, hey, it's snowing in my postcode, which is different from their postcode. And they go, oh, and then they look out the window and uh, their large um, garden, which is uh, normally very green and lush, is now completely, uh, completely white and snowed in. And in, in the space of like two hours, we'd got this absolute snowfall. Um yeah, and uh, and and we, I nearly didn't get home to my cats, uh, which was a thing. We we've um, yeah, we apparently we were supposed to be getting the snow. Uh, we knew we were going to get the snow, but we didn't quite realise that we were going to get the snow when we got the snow. So it was a whole thing. Um, so I hope you're uh, I hope you're safe if you're if you're in the UK. I hope you're safe from the snow or having a fun snow day. It occurred to me today that the idea of the snow day doesn't really exist anymore uh, because now kids uh, and, and and teachers and and head teachers and governing bodies and things know that kids can theoretically work from home. So what does that do to those mornings where you would wake up and listen to your local radio station and and hope against hope for a snow day? What does what does that do now? Anyway, I mean, every day is a snow day theoretically right now. So uh, speaking of that, actually, uh, this is just a, a little a little um, call for for help call a call to action, um, which is based on. <clears throat> so the conversation we had last week with Kevin, we mentioned uh, your man there in Northfield who eats big dinners, and one of the reasons that is significant right now is. Um, our government is heaping indignity upon indignity to people who um, can't uh, necessarily easily make ends meet and is sending very miserable um, pre-portioned uh, me- workhouse meals uh, to people instead of what they used to do, uh, which is give out effectively food vouchers. And the reason, you know, if they if they, if they contract the supply of the food items to a company that means that company and the mp who rigged it up can get a nice little in the back pocket where of course if you do the voucher scheme that already has been proven to work um it's not ideal but it's there and it works Uh, if you do that then the parent gets the dignity of being able to spend the money in the way that is most effective for them and their children and can make that money go a lot further so not only uh, are um is is our government dictating what kids should eat uh it's also saying effectively all kids kind of can just eat the same stuff and uh also it's not enough for a kid uh so kids are going hungry um and it's 2021 for god's sake so my call to action was to check in on your local food bank, um, if you would. Uh, go and um, have a look. Uh, find them on Facebook, find them wherever. If you have a food bank near you, um, then then go check them out and, and see if they are in need of uh, anything. There are some uh, places that have popped up as food banks now uh, that are serving their communities where other food banks maybe aren't able to or whatever. So go and do a search. Have a look. Uh, Facebook is a great place for a lot of this stuff. Yes, okay, we get it, Facebook. Fine, all right? Move past that bit. Just get on your Facebook and do a search um, for local food banks or um, local pubs, 
bars, whatever, cafes that are turning themselves into food banks and just see if they need anything uh, that you might be able to provide if you've got spare tins of stuff. Um, then uh, go, go and do that, please, um, because it will help a lot. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, so uh, next week, then, uh, we've got a lovely episode um, with Dave Webb where we are doing our top five tips for working in the creative industry. Uh, and there was quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of nice harmony and agreement in that one. So it's a, a really lovely episode. But uh, for now, let us continue with the present. Um, let us crack back on with Carl Hodge and myself building our top five list of time travel movies seriously kids are going hungry in this country what the fuck i have made a provisional combined list and i would like to like to see how you uh, how this fares with you um so i i want to put i want to put time freak in as number five because i think you you make it such a great case for it um tackling some of the aspects of time travel the detritus the the you know the the collateral damage that doesn't necessarily get talked about uh, elsewhere i mean something like groundhog day all the damage is cleared up the next day you know there's, there's no lasting damage whereas this this really shows that and i, I think it, it's, it's worth um it's worth that mention and it's also nice to uh to be able to surface stuff that not everyone's heard of um i'd like to i'd like to put um a stake in the ground for uh safety uh, safety not guaranteed at number four Number three, I think the lake house. Uh, n- number two, the time traveler's wife, and then number one, Groundhog Day. Do you have any thoughts? Um, I'm quite happy with that list in general. Oh, uh, what I, the only thing that I uh, I would say is, I'd love there to be space in the list for Kate and Leopold. Okay, and that's just because I think it's one of those that gets overlooked, mm-hmm. and uh, it's probably it's a really comfortable, unoffensive two hours worth of time passing. Um, it's Meg Ryan kind of at, at her best. Um, Hugh Jackman really early in his career in a role that he wouldn't be, he wouldn't play now mm-hmm. as well. Now we all, it's all, it's pre Wolverine. Yes. Um, and now he tends to play those kind of more hunky masculine action roles. Um, it's a really well-made film. Um, but it's it's difficult to know which of it, of that list I would I would remove to put Kate and Leopold in, and the only one I would think of is probably Safety Not Guaranteed, and I'm it's kind of reluctant to do that because I I think probably for different reasons they're kind of on a par almost. Mm. Um, Kate and Leopold is is much more of a slick. Uh, execution of the idea safety not guaranteed it's great in indie movie and it's it's one of those as well that um, people might not check yeah well how would you feel about because i i can feel um parallels or similarities between that and the time traveler's wife so i wonder if we if we jettison the time traveler's wife, put the lake house in as number two, and put Kate and Leopold in as number three, you know, I might be open to that. Mm, okay. And and I think um, I'll tell you what. I, I, there's there's a thing about the time traveler's wife that's an elephant in the room, mm. and that is that um, anyone that's seen it will know that Henry first meets Claire in the time traveler's wife when she's just six years old. Yeah, which is and a bit weird. It's a bit odd. It's like a time-travelling Jimmy Savile. Yeah, it's a, that's a bit off. 
So I think if we, although, you know, it's got a reputation mm-hmm. and lots of people reading the book at the time, and it's actually quite a good version of that book, I still think there's that problem at the core of it. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Final list then from five to one. Time Freaks, Safety Not Guaranteed, Kate and Leopold, The Lake House, and Groundhog Day. Carl Hodge, do you consent to this list? I do consent to this list. I'm happy with that. Are there any that you would have considered but sort of don't don't make the final your final five? Don't mind my final five. Um, Back to the Future was the one that I was thinking about, just because it's just such a terrific film, well, a series of films. And but one of the one of the issues with Back to the Future is which of the Back to the Futures do you actually choose? Because they've all got really strong romantic elements in them. Um, in Back to the Future one, it's obviously Marty trying to get his parents back together. Back to the Future two, it's Marty trying to get his parents back together and fix his own relationship with his girlfriend. And in Back to the Future 3, it's really about Doc's relationship um, because Doc meets someone in, in the past and they've got, they have to preserve that. Remember, the end of Back to the Future 3 is not the DeLorean returning, it's the steam engine returning with, with Doc Brown's family. Um, that was the one that I really I thought about a lot, but I also think it's almost too big for the list in a, in a way. I think, I think it, it exists beyond the list. Everybody knows that Back to the Future is the benchmark for time travel yeah. in film. It doesn't need so to champion it. It doesn't. Absolutely not. No. Well, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I didn't have any of those, but I, I definitely have uh, some homework now that I'm going to look up all of the time. <laughs> the time. Uh, and of course, watch, uh, I've, got, I've got to complete my, my, my watching. So that might be another New Year's Eve for me. Um, Carl, this has been an absolute pleasure. Where can people uh, keep up with you and uh, and and meet you virtually uh, and perhaps discuss this list? Well, if they want to, I'm on Twitter and I'm just Carl Hodge, one word on Twitter. Marvellous. Well, um, thank you so much, Carl. Um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching these and um, thank you for uh, being on List Envy. 